Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Calvary family. Good morning though, to those who are meeting at the SDA, to those who might be tuning in online here in St. John's, across Newfoundland, Canada, and indeed the world. I trust wherever you are, in whatever fashion you're tuning in, that you're worshiping God today with all of your heart, your mind, your body, soul, and your strength. And I hope that as you come away from this message today, and indeed the whole service, that you will come away a little bit more mature in your faith. But let me start off by asking you, what, what, is, what is the marker or what is the evidence of a maturing believer? Is it daily Bible reading? Or what about serving in some sort of ministry at your church? Is it sharing the gospel with people around you? Or is it living a more missional life? What if the answer is yes to all of those, but not quite? What if it's yes to all of those, but not quite? You see, anyone can do any one of those things and yet not be a maturing believer. You can read your Bible, sure. You could serve at church, why not? You could share the gospel with people around you. Yeah, absolutely. And you can even live in a more missional lifestyle. Why, why not? Why not? But when you look at James chapter 1, James effectively draws a, uh, draws a line in the sand and he tells us three things that you can gauge whether you're a maturing believer or not. And I'll just quickly go over those. So when you look back in verse, uh, verses 1 to 11, James says that the first marker of a maturing believer is someone who finds joy in the trial. And then he moves into verses 13 to 18. And he says the second mark of a maturing believer is one who triumphs in temptation. And as we'll see as we go through verses 19 to 25, the third mark of a maturing believer is someone who is a doer of the word. And, and being obedient to the word of God comes with having a right relationship with the word of God. Because no matter what way you spin it, your faith will not mature without a right attitude towards the word of God. You could say, oh, Matt, I, I am a mature believer, but I don't really read my Bible. Well, I'm sorry to be blunt, but you're, you're sadly mistaken and you're highly deceived. Or you might say, I do read my Bible, but in practice, you don't really live it out. And in that case, you're still highly deceived. In fact, the whole crux of verses 19 to 25 is James asking you, how are you responding to the word of God? Are you just a hearer of the word or are you a doer of the word? This is now my, my third sermon in the book of James. And I don't know about you, but it, it's been absolutely crazy. I, I feel like as I've started in verse one and now I'm working my way through 19 to 25, I feel like I'm in a boxing match with James. He just comes out throwing punches and I, I can't defend myself. There's so much packed into these 27 verses. And when you look at chapter one, you start to see this theme that James is uh, giving to us and it's all about testing and our, our response to it. The first 11 verses are about our response to the external tests that come from the world. Verses 12 to 18 is, is our response to the temptations that arise within us because of the external temptation or testing. And then when you look at verses 19 to 25, it's our response to the truths of the word of God. It's, it's a trifecta. How, how are you responding to the testing from the world? How are you responding to the internal temptations? And how are you responding to the word of God? And what, what do you do when the word of God 
confronts you and, and makes you feel uncomfortable and you hear something that you don't like, what do you do? What do you do when you come to church on a Sunday morning and the preacher, or, or when you turn in, tune in on a Sunday morning and the preacher is, says something that you, you don't agree with or that really confronts you or that really challenges you or you hear about a sin inside you that's, that's called out? What do, you, what do you do with that? The more I studied and prepared for today, the more I realized that with 19 to 25, James wants us to be constantly checking ourselves against the word of God. We're to check our pride. We're to check our understanding. We're to check what we think we know about the word and we're to check our obedience to it. Now remember, James is all about our faith and action, except for now, James wants us to be asking how our faith responds to the truths of scripture. Last time I preached, I, I revealed to you how Verses 14 and 15 absolutely tossed me around like a rag doll. But I, I, think, I think now when I look at verses 19 and 25, verses 22 and 23 challenge me more than verses 14 and 15. And I hope it does for you as well, because there's some pretty convicting words in these seven verses. And, and you know what? I, I think like the more I look at this, this block of text, and in fact, the whole book, it's, just, it's ridiculous, not in a bad way, but in a good way, because it challenges me. Right? And as we'll see a bit later, this is like a mirror. We're going to look into it, and it's going to reveal stuff about us. So I hope that you're feeling challenged as well today. So without further ado, let's get into it. Let's take a look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I love this passage. I don't know how many times in the past I have used this passage out of context. I've used it to tell someone, you need to be quiet, or you need to be slow to anger, or, or quick to listen. I think, you know, if we're all going to be honest, I think we have done that in some way, shape, or form. But I don't think that verse 19 means what we want it to mean. This isn't some sort of moral encouragement. It, it's not like James is saying, you gotta, be, you gotta speak better or listen harder or take control of your emotions. No, that's, that's not what James is talking about. Now, true, true, I think we would all do well to be slower to speak, you know, slower to anger and quicker to listen. But that's not what James is talking about in verse 19. Three times in three verses, James brings us back to the word of God. Verse 21, receive the word. Verse 22, be doers of the word. Verse 23, don't be hearers of the word only. And so there's this idea surrounding this text that we're to be quick to listen, slow to, slow to speak, and slow to become angry in relation to the word of God. But he, he really begins back in verse 18, and he says, by his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. You see, James equates our salvation, this coming forth by the word of truth, with Jesus. In the broadest sense, the word of truth is the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But in the most narrow definition, the word of truth is the gospel. It's the realization that all of the Old Testament anticipates in, hopes for, and points to Jesus. And it's, the, and it's in Jesus that all of our anticipation, all of our hope, and our salvation is fully realized. And as someone who has been walking with the Lord for 20 years, 
the gospel still confronts me every single day because the gospel is confrontational. It's living and active. It pierces the soul and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The gospel reminds us that we aren't God, that we aren't the center of the universe, that we are in fact sinners and that we need saving. That is confrontational. I've seen people be brought to tears by the gospel. And yet I've seen people foaming at the mouth, downright angry because of it. And truth be told, if I'm going to be honest, not a lot has changed in 2,000 years. Let me, let me show you. I want you to try and imagine the atmosphere of the first century. When, when Jesus had walked the earth, the Jews had 1,800 years of history behind them. God had chosen them as his most treasured possession. He rescued them out of bondage and captivity time and time again. He gave them the law. He promised them a deliverer or, or a Messiah, and that the Messiah would come and finally free them from foreign rule and subjugation, and that he would also establish his rule forever. But these, these people lived under the legalities of their own law and culture and traditions. To get to God, you must follow the law of God perfectly. I'm talking like 614 commandments, not 10, 614. And trust me, there were people who nearly did it. And so then here comes Jesus claiming not only to be God, but everything about the Torah and the law were fulfilled in him. And, and let me just say, the religious leaders were not happy about this whatsoever. In the end, they rejected Christ and they had him crucified. And the reason why they rejected him, the reason why they turned their back on him is because they failed to understand and believe in the scriptures. In some ways, they willfully ignored its meaning. And if we can be real honest, if we can just lay it out all on the table, people still live like this today. They willfully look the other way. And there's a legal term for this. This is called being willfully blind. Back in the 60s, there was a, a lady named Kitty Genovese, and she lived in New York, and unfortunately and tragically, she was murdered on the front steps of her apartment block. When the police investigated, they discovered that 37 people had actually witnessed the murder and yet did nothing about it. They were willfully blind towards it. And isn't that kind of what we do with Scripture? We see it. We're quick to listen to it. We acknowledge it. But because it's confronting, we look the other way. But there's truly, my friends, something to be said about how we position ourselves before the word of God. See, much like those in the first century, James isn't calling out our inability to talk less and listen more. No, he's reminding us that as we approach the word of God, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This isn't moral encouragement. This is spiritual exhortation. And it's kind of funny how when you add context to a passage, how it brings it more to life. It makes it a bit more understandable. But we need to slow down. When I was younger, I, I loved arguing. I absolutely loved arguing so much to the point that I wanted to become a lawyer but things never worked out that way. 
I quickly found out that I, I was more concerned about getting that emotional hit, about trying to get the last word in, trying to get the one up on the person I was arguing with. And I, I really had a hard time sitting down to understand what the other side was trying to say. And, and don't, don't we kind of sometimes approach the word of God like that? We're so jacked up on some emotional high that we really have a hard time stopping and slowing down to hear what God is actually saying. We just, we just want that instant hit. We want that instant answer. We want to inject ourselves into scripture. We ask ourselves, God, how, how do I do this? What do I do? God, I, I need you. I need you right now. <laughs> and then he answers us. Stay away from every kind of evil. Be at peace among yourselves. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Honor your mother and your father. Forgive your brother. You close your Bible, you pray, and then you seriously feel like a ton of bricks just hit you. So brothers and sisters, when you approach the word of God, slow down, take time to listen. And for this word, I think when you look at how James is writing, the overall, there's two things that he wants us to understand. He wants to communicate the how and the what. How should we approach the word of God? And what do we do once we've encountered it? You see, verse 19 is James' opening argument. This sets the tone for the next seven verses. When you hear the word, be quick to listen. Once you hear the word, be slow to speak. And when you start processing it, be slow to anger. But this first command, to be quick to listen, it's deceptively simple, right? Don't just come to the word ready to shoot from the hip. Don't just come to the word ready to inject your life into it, as I just mentioned. But come to the word ready to learn, to listen, and to hear God. Be still and know that he is God. You see, the true believer slowly, diligently, and meticulously searches the word of God for encouragement, for praise, for strength, and for wisdom. And as, as a believer, we must always be in the word. There's this age-old adage, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so? So allow God to speak to you through his word. But when he does... When he does, look at what James says next. Be slow to speak. When dealing with the things of God, we as believers need to start slowing down. We need to take time to consider what God is saying. And this is a warning, my friends. This is a warning that from the youngest to the oldest, we all need to learn. When I was a new Christian, I remember... I remember being overly zealous and I just, I just couldn't wait to tell people something about anything that I had read in the Bible. And if I be honest with myself, there were many, 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 many times that I had no idea what I was talking about, yet I still talked. In fact, I probably did more damage than I did good. Not only did I not understand what I was talking about, but I spoke as if I had all the answers. And the more I spoke, the more I became arrogant. 
It was like I was God's evangelical gift to everyone around me, but that was not the case. The more I did it, the more I became puffed up and conceited. And I think, I think that's what James is getting at here. When he says we should be slow to speak, we should do so with carefully thought out words. Because at the end of the day, as believers, we have a responsibility to use our knowledge and our speech to both edify those around us and yet glorify God above us. But before we can do that, we need to be slow to anger. There's the third command. Because our anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Let me ask you a question. And I wish I could hear you answer me. Have you ever confronted someone with a sin that they were committing? It can be both scary and confronting. When you shine a light on someone's sin and you expose it, more times than not, you're going to be met with anger and resistance. And trust me, the church, as beautiful as it is as the bride of Christ, is chock full of sin because there are sinners in it. Not only do we have a responsibility to delicately speak the word, but as believers, we have a responsibility to fight against, wage war, repent of, and give over our sin to God. But why? Why do any of this? Because Jesus told us to live a holy and righteous life. And the reality of that is that we find it extremely difficult if we aren't examining ourselves against the word of truth. But when James, when he talks about anger, he's not talking about this outward explosion of emotions. This isn't an angry outburst or, or a tantrum-style anger that you know, many of us have seen kids do. This is not the anger that he's talking about. This is a deep down resentment that builds in the pit of your stomach, in, in your soul. It's a type of anger that you silently harbor inside you. It eats away and it seethes and it smolders at the fabric of your existence. It's the type of anger that only you and God are aware of. And this happens all the time, even to me. And I can imagine many of you relate to that as well. Because the word of God is confronting. But who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? We all have skeletons in our closet. Some of you wrestle with sexual sin. Others, pride. Others, you're self-righteous. Some of you are gossips and liars and you find it very easy to hate people. You love judging people. Some of you, are, you idolize things. You idolize money and cars and your house your kids, your job, your church, your pastor, your friends, your relationships. In fact, I would argue we're all idolaters. We all idolize something. But this is what the word of truth does. It exposes our sin and yet calls us back to God. When God speaks to you through his word and convicts you of your sin, your bitterness or your anger is of no benefit to you or to those around you of your witness to God. Your personal anger or your resentment or your bitterness towards scripture, I'm going to argue, is in fact towards God himself. And that will never serve the cause of Christ because as James reminds us, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we must strive daily to get rid of all filthiness and rampant wickedness as we read. 
In other words, those deliberate sins, those sins that are, are determined and, and premeditated, in fact, all sins, they, they got to go. They got to go because they're like wax in your ears that impair you from hearing properly. That's what James is getting at when he says to get rid of all filthiness, right? He's saying to get rid of those deliberate sins that are like wax over your soul. They're impairing your ability to hear and to process the word of God. And by getting clear of it, you can receive the word in humility and meekness. But, as James reminds us in verse 22, I think this is where things start to get a bit real, if they haven't been real already. But, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, then goes away, and he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But notice what James doesn't say. He doesn't say be doers and speakers of the word and not hearers only. No, James says to be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, every, every week at mile one, uh, the team gets together and we do this thing called book club. We sit down, we read through a book, and then we come together to discuss it. Right now, we're reading a book called uh, What is the Mission of the Church? And in it, we're reading how the church is made up of a body. And when the body is in great shape, it's really more in line with what the mission of the church is than what it was if it was out of shape. Because the body, as we all know, if you don't exercise, if, you, if you're not doing the right things for it, it's prone to becoming out of shape. <clears throat> Excuse me. If all you do is consume, naturally you're just going to gain weight. You see, James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us inside the church are hearers only. We come to church or we tune in on Sundays and all we do is hear and hear and hear and hear. All we do is consume and consume and consume. We don't actually do anything with what we hear. We memorize a bunch of scripture passages. We get really good at doing sword drills. We have a lot of Iwana trophies. And for what? For what? What do we do if we can check all the boxes on paper and put on a good game, but that's all there is? You know, it's kind of like what Paul gets at when he's, when he's writing to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he says, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I ha if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can spend all the time you want in the word of God, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but if you have nothing to show for it but a bunch of knowledge, then you got to ask yourself, am I really a disciple? Equally, if you have nothing but a feel-good gospel that emphasizes emotions and what makes you feel good and yet you do nothing about it, are you really a disciple? And just, just an FYI, I'm going to get here, but in chapter 2, James talks about what it looks like to be dead in your faith because you can be dead in your faith. And I wonder if this is what James is getting at here. Do we treat the word of God like we do with food? Are we merely just feeding our minds so that we can be puffed up because we memorize scripture? You see, the Pharisees not only did that 2,000 years ago, but they paid lip service to it. 
And yet Christ condemned them for it. You see, God expects us to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. I don't believe that God wants disciples with just a bunch of head knowledge, and that's it. I don't believe that God wants us to merely be consumers of the word. And and why? Why? Because when you read in verse 22, if we're hearers only, my friends, we're sadly deceived. It is not, as one commentator reminds us, a question of what one claims to have experienced, but of one of how one lives in light of the word of God. We should love nothing more than to do whatever it is that God asks of us. And fortunately, unfortunately, many Christians have eaten themselves into the four walls of their church. They're proud of their ministry. They're proud of their service. They're proud of their dedication, but that's all it is. It's just lip service. They serve to impress people and then put on a good show and it's sometimes a social grab. As I was preparing, Matthew 7 came to mind. This is a passage that keeps me up at night. If I spend uh, a great deal of time thinking about it, it sends shivers down my spine. It makes me really uncomfortable. This is what Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23 say. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The message of this passage is simple. There will be a day when people will come face to face with God and they'll explain to them all the good things that they did and all the things that they did for their church and and. And, and they'll try to argue how they, what they did and, and, and what they accomplished was for him, but they didn't do it for him. They didn't do it for him because they didn't know what he, what, he, what he wanted them to do. Or they did, but they did it with wrong motives and intentions. They were consumers of their own self-righteousness, and they were hearers only. So yeah, verses 22 to 25 really challenged me more than verses 14 and 15. It was a really hard reality check, and here's, here's why. When James says to be a doer, he means this, be a doer with all of your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, and your strength. Remember I said in my last message, James doesn't want half-hearted Christians walking around just merely claiming to serve God. No, he wants fully committed Christians to be walking around serving God with all of their mind, soul, body, spirit, heart, and strength. He wants Christians who are ready to daily pick up their cross and, 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 and serve Christ with everything that they have. And if that's not hard enough, if James isn't saying just be a doer, he's qualifying it further. He's saying be a doer of the word. Guys, this rocked me, right? This is hard stuff. It challenges me. It, it makes me confront, am I being a doer of the word or am I being a hearer only? You see, there are two types of people when it comes to doing things. I'll give you a couple examples. It's one thing to touch up an old 69 Stingray and it's another to be the guy who completely pours his life into designing, creating, and manufacturing cars. 
It's one thing to do odd jobs around the house on a Saturday afternoon, but it's another to be the builder who pours his blood, sweat, and tears into creating the house. And maybe a little closer to home, it's one thing to be a slipper skipper commandeering a ship from the shore. And it's another thing to be the one who actually builds the boat, who goes out, who catches the fish, and brings them home to Lizer. <laughs> See what I'm saying here? If you're a doer of the word, if you're pouring all of your heart, your mind, your body, soul, and strength into what you're doing, you aren't just a doer. You're a doer of the word. And it's one thing to being a doer, but it's another to being a hearer only. And James leaves us with a pretty stark warning in verse 23. Verse 23 says, If all we do is consume the word, we're like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgetting what he was like. This is a crazy, ridiculous analogy. Not that it's a bad analogy, but that the, the reality of what's happening is, is ridiculous when you consider what James is actually saying. I spoke briefly about mirrors at the beginning, and this is where I was going with it. Mirrors 2,000 years ago are not the same as the mirrors we have today. Then they were created using polished brass or silver. Sorry, polished brass or bronze. Unlike today, they're made from glass. So to see your reflection in the mirror was an achievement in and of itself. You would spend tons of time moving it around, trying to get the light reflection just right so you could see your face. And it, it was really, really hard work. You would have to work really hard to see all the imperfections and cracks and crevices and dirt and everything. And because you had to spend so much time looking at yourself, you'd be hard-pressed to leave knowing that you were dirty or, or there's something wrong with your face. And you just look at your face and be like, oh, yeah, it's my face. And then you go away and you forget that you had a dirt stain or you had you know, a huge pimple to pop or something like that, right? Like, it just, you wouldn't do it. And the reasoning goes like this. If you wouldn't do that with your natural face in the mirror, if you wouldn't spend all that time looking at your face, why would you do it with the word of God, which is able to save your soul? That's what James is getting at. You see, the failure here of the one who only ever hears is forgetting what he has heard. That's verses 23 and 24, and this is important. We gotta, we gotta let that sink down. Throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, God routinely reminded his people to keep his statutes and not forget his commands and to write them on their hearts, to commit them to memory and to be doing it. Reading, committing it, and remembering the word of God is crucial for a maturing believer. Like how can you live a life worthy of your calling, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians, if you aren't spending time in the word and with God? To remember, as, to remember God, sorry, his acts and his teaching is to contemplate them according to one commentator in such a way that they make a lasting impression on the heart and in the mind. The person who forgets what he has seen in God's word is one who reads or listens superficially, not imprinting the message on his soul. And I'd argue as your faith matures, you will be consumed with a desire to please God, to walk by the spirit, to spend time in his word, allowing it to transform your mind and your heart and in turn, in turn, sorry, <laughs> in turn becoming a doer of the word. But this may not always be easy because the word of God is confronting. 
that highlights our sin and it calls you out on the things that aren't glorifying to God. But look at verse 25. Verse 25, to the one who is a doer, he is blessed in what he does. You notice that James changes it up here. He calls God's perfect word the law of liberty. And this is just a fancy way of reminding his readers that the law, God's law, as interpreted, viewed, and fulfilled through Christ, liberates us to serving God with all of our hearts, mind, body, soul, and strength. You see, as you mature as a believer, there will be an increasing desire to do what is pleasing to God. And we have the whole Bible to teach us and guide us as to what pleases God. We can't just say that we're New Testament Christians, nor can we discount the Old Testament. We cannot unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because the Old Testament, much like the New, is still the inspired, infallible, and immutable Word of God. All of Scripture is profitable for teaching, for correction, and for guidance. It still shapes our understanding of what pleases God. Because the more we look into the perfect law, the more we understand the extent by which we have been liberated from the bondage of sin, we become doers with glad hearts and a desire to serve God. This is freedom at its finest. And in this freedom, we can find obedience to be doers of the word, not subjugated by duty or obligation, but by desire and longing and love. You see, we are called to be doers of the word, and we are doers of the word because we love God. Amen? So what are we at now? 22 weeks. 22 weeks of restrictions, 22 weeks of social distancing, 22 weeks of online church, 22 weeks of truly being hearers of the word. And let's be honest, let's call a spade a spade. In more ways than one, our hands have been tied because of COVID. We've done a lot of listening over the last 22 weeks. We've done a lot of hearing. Uh, and it's been hard to be doers of the word because of our circumstances. How do we live out our faith when living out our faith is, is hard in this time and in this day? I know for many of you, you're longing for the day when you can come back to church in how we understood it before COVID and jump back into serving and ministry and being doers of the word. For others, you're quite content simply being consumers of the word. And yet for others, maybe today you're feeling convicted for your lack of doing, and that's good. That's, that's really, really good. Because we're never going to get it right. We'll always find ourselves in one of those three categories. But regardless of what category you may be in, we all need to be constantly, daily, in the word, allowing it to guide us and allowing ourselves to be examined and challenged and confronted and conformed by it. This is what James unpacks for us at the end of chapter one. So let me leave you with some questions to mull over and pray through this week. What place does the word of God have in your life? Are you being changed by it? Is God calling you out on a particular sin or asking you to step out in faith over something? And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. 
So what are you going to do with this sermon? What have you done with the last 22 sermons? What are you going to do with next week's sermon? Or the week after that? Or the week after that? And after that and after that? Are you going to be hearers only? Or are you going to be doers of the word? And so what first step can we take to being doers and obedient to the word? Well, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can gather, whether it's in person or online, to worship you, Lord. I thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, that we can know you, learn about you, that we can be guided by it, transformed by it, Lord. I thank you that you reveal yourself to us through it. I thank you that you show us what pleases you and displeases you through it. And so, Lord, I pray not only for myself, but for everyone who has tuned in and for everyone at 30 Aldershot Street, Lord, that this week we may go being not hearers only, being deceived, Lord, but that we would be doers of the word. I pray that you would convict us by your spirit, Lord, to hand over the areas of our life in which we're just being hearers. Show us how to be doers of your word, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.